go once again. Time for Ira on Sports. True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Great show on tap for you as always. And Ira, not live tonight, unfortunately. Might have to tape this one a little bit earlier in the day. We don't anticipate anything crazy happening in the next couple of hours, but we always let you know uh, when we're not live. You're heading out of town. Yeah, just headed to New York for a day. But, uh, no, excited about today's uh, show. We got uh, Jeff Fletcher on uh, from the Orange County Register to talk about Otani and Thomas D'Angelo talking about golf and everything we have with John Rom. So. You and I have been some of the bigger supporters of Liv, too. I mean, it seems like golf purists think it's the worst thing ever. Tom D'Angelo, very respected golf writer, he was kind of on our side, on Liv's side in this a little bit, at least giving them a fair shot and saying, this is a credible league, and now they have one of the best players in the world on top of all the other great players That's what I liked about Tom's writing. It wasn't all, Liv's the worst thing in the world, this is anything in the world. I mean, I think he recognized that because he talks to these golfers, Kapka, everything, so he knew, and, and that's what he, one of his comments was. He, he just called it straight down the middle, and that's why I like to have him on the show. Yep, and of course, you can follow Ira anywhere at Ira on sports. Not a busy week for you, Ira. You thought maybe we'd be heading out of town, some games, but nothing really material. Nothing this week, but next week's this coming week's going to be awesome. I got to go to see Tiger on Friday, some NFL football on Sunday. So excited about that! I do assume you'll be at the Rose Bowl, and if you're going to the Rose Bowl, if you're excited about this, Michigan and Alabama. Why not take a private jet there? Thirty passenger jet flying from Boca Raton to Van Nuys, California, near Los Angeles and Pasadena. It's Millennium Jet Card Boca on the morning of the, uh, December 29th. They return to Florida on the afternoon of January. January 2nd for a great bowl experience. Call 561-660-8540 to get more information or to book your flight. Imagine how easy it's going to be to drive up to your plane, park for free, fly nonstop in all first-class seats with drinks and snacks along the way. Millennium Jet Card can do that for you. 561-660-8540, 561-660-8540. I you fly to LAX all the time, and it's probably a disaster getting in and out of that airport. One of the worst things you'd ever want to do this time of year. I can't think of anything more torturous than that. It's it's root canal or fly to LAX. I think yeah, it'd be cool. so, so fly to Van Nuys, private jet. This is the easy way to do it with Millennium Jet Card, 561 Eight five four zero. All right, Ira. It was we had a couple of really anticipated games yesterday, but none more than Buffalo versus Kansas City. It's always fireworks when these guys meet up, and this is it turned out to be another great game. Little bit of controversy at the end. Me and you think it's ridiculous, but let's talk about this game and how you know Buffalo suddenly. You can't count Buffalo out anymore. Two weeks ago, it was like Buffalo's not even going to make the playoffs. Now, if they make the playoffs, they, they can make can make it to the Super Bowl. Of course. And then I spent the whole week was I'm listening to every single sports talk show, and they're bashing Josh Allen. Josh Allen does this wrong. Josh Allen does that wrong. Josh Allen does this wrong. Those interceptions, all those things. And you had a stat. What's the stat about Josh? You had about the interception? Jalen Hurts has two less turnovers. Nobody talks about Jalen Hurts being reckless with the ball. It's just Josh Allen's a reckless gunslinger. And I'm just like I watched football all day yesterday. I watched almost every single game. I was at a sports bar watching everything, then watched, came with YouTube and watched all the games. You watch the quarterbacks. I certainly watched Mr. Bliskey, all this. He is so much better. If you if this was the first day you've ever watched football, was yesterday, you would say, that guy for the Bills, he's really good. And that's what it is. I mean, he's amazing. The plays he makes. And what no other team, but short of Patrick, short of Kansas City, would take Josh Allen over their quarterback. And that includes Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, and Lamar Jackson. That's how good Josh Allen yeah. is. And I just did criticism all week. And you like Buffalo going into this game. I, I did. I just had a feeling it was a, kind of a trappy situation. And they're a scrappy team. And this is 
the definition of must win. They've got a long heated rivalry with with Kansas City. I don't think Casey's playing very good. I thought it was a great setup for the Bills. And with Allen winning, he's now three and three against Mahomes. Um, it was one of those games where Mahomes goes down and it gets intercepted his first drive. Buffalo got the running game going, throws it to J- uh, James Cook for a touchdown, made it fourteen. Then they got a gown that, that, that rugby play where he get pushed and you know mm-hmm. he does that better than hurts in terms of getting pushed in. <laughs> made it fourteen nothing, and then he threw the interception. I was waiting to text you. I'm like, boy, Allen's laying great. And then right when I was about to send you the text, he throws the interception. Chiefs come down, uh, score a touchdown, make it 14-7 in halftime. But after halftime, the Bills had a field goal. Mahomes had a great drive. Drasheed Rice for a touchdown. He's emerging as a weapon, dropping still some passes, but improving as a rookie. Made it 17-14. Bills punts. And then Kelsey... Almost fumbles the ball. They they you know examine it. Did he fumble? Did he not fumble? But then Rice fumbles the ball. The Bills get the ball, and then that's when Josh Allen makes this play. And I just I don't think I have dreams about it. He's like falling out of bounds. Everything and just throws it so hard, so strong. His arm strength is unbelievable. His athleticism is amazing. I've never seen no. I don't know any other quarterback could have made a play like that. Yeah, his his combination of brute force. I mean, I was having this discussion yesterday. A lot of quarterbacks are elusive. He can run through linebackers in addition to, to getting around. And he doesn't get hurt. And, yeah, never gets hurt, and he's got a laser rocket arm. His supporting cast is not great. Gabe Davis absolutely disappears in a lot of situations. Stephon Diggs is good. He's not great. He's a very good receiver. Not great. There's just not that much on the team. They've never had a running game in the, his entire time there. He does more for, for, for his team than most people do, but he's the one who's constantly getting the, the heat for it. So they're up 17-40, then Casey drives down. They're stopped for a field goal, made it 17-17. The Bills punt, and then Casey punts. So this is a, actually, they had now three drives that, that Casey did in the second half, three drives with Patrick Cohen and just three points, which is just you're just waiting for the fireworks mm-hmm. to start exploding the game. Then the Bills had this great drive. They drive down. It was third and 10 on the Casey 27, and then they an illegal contact. If you're going to complain about a penalty, it's illegal contact that suddenly gave them a first down, like with two minutes and 20 seconds mm-hmm. to go, and the Chiefs only had two timeouts. I'm like, okay, run the ball, get a first down. You get one first down. This game's over. Kick a field goal. It's over. Yeah. You're going to win. And then they throw three incompletions. I liked how Joe Brady called the game for the Bills, but I thought that was crazy play calling because you let them, you kick a field goal and you leave. Two minutes to go in the game, 154, yeah. with Patrick Mahomes and we've down seen this three. Story before, yeah. Yes, you've seen it before. He gets to the 49, uh, and everything looks like they're ready to score. And then it's the play where they throw it to Kelsey, who then then throws it back to Tony. One of the most amazing plays you've ever seen. Tony runs it in for a touchdown. It looks like they had the lead. Now everyone feels like the game was over. Them realize the Bills had like another. If they got the ball back, a minute, the, a minute and 20 minutes yeah. with Josh Allen to come back and score. You know that's so. It wasn't like the game was over, but. The whole thing was Kadarius Coney was standing off sides at that play on the time. It is so clear. Take the blue line out. You just watch it. He's off sides. Now, the rules, I listened to this all day long, and that's where Mahomes went crazy after the game, and he re-goes crazy game. Everybody from the Chiefs is going crazy. The fact is, he was standing off sides. If it was the other way around, and the defender was off sides, and he threw an interception, he's like, oh, they were off sides. I get a free play. What is this? Again, you talk about any other sport. In hockey, they look, was it, was it a two-line pass or not two-line pass? In basketball, if you're standing on the inbounds line, is it this? Is it not? I mean, we have in football with the rules, like, is it a pass interference or not pass interference? This is clear. You're off sides. Mm-hmm. And they're just saying, oh, well, maybe the ref- referee should have told me off sides. Well, first of all, it's not Bibby League. You know, you're, you're, <laughs> 
they're either on or not. And you have to ask. They actually do that. But you can turn and say, am I where my side? But he was standing only like 15 feet from the ball. The fact that you watch it on TV, I, I just can't believe it. I think Mahomes was so frustrated at the end because it was a great play. It was an amazing play. But he's mad at Tony because they have 33 drops in the season. The last week, he should have been more upset when Valdez Scanling got interfered with. They didn't call it. But he said, oh, no, you know, that's okay. You know, I'm gonna just let it play out. But for him now to, to not, the person who should be upset, they should be upset is Kadarius Tony. You stood outside on a great play. It was your mistake. And then if you watch the play, Ryan Clark made a good thing on his head. When he ran, he was so, he was like pouting almost. And he didn't even run hard. That's why he was open where he was open because they threw the ball back to him. That's why Kelsey could throw the ball back to him. But I think this is all Kadarius Tony. This was unbelievable. And to think that the refs, what other call could they have made? And this is a team that benefited. Talk about calls. In the Super Bowl with Bradbury, they got the, the penalty mm-hmm. at the end of the game. So it just... I just thought it was the. I mean, I love Patrick Jones. I think he's fantastic. But boy, to criticize this is ridiculous. Yeah, his complaining after the game is almost juvenile. And and I hear a lot of people saying like, you know, what's Patrick Mahomes' deal? And I still think he's a great guy. This is just a bad situation. You're right. There's frustration with Tony that he's not going to directly say. But to put it in a situation like this where the ref shouldn't have called it. Why should they? He said this is the first time this has ever happened in my career. Never had this this call before. Well, he's blatantly offsides. So if you're blatantly offsides, it's going to get called. I don't see why they should swallow the whistle on something like this. This isn't like you said. You know, a lot of play calls are subjective. Was it really a holding? Was it really a pass interference? There's photo evidence. He's offside. You got to call it. Sorry. And I think he's just defending. I think this is the overall. You saw the action yesterday. I thought he was yelling at his players, but then he came up. He's yelling at at the referees, and then he was complaining to Josh Allen after the game. But I think it's just this frustration that he has. Because I'll tell you what, if Tyreek Hill was that was on the left side, and that trust, trust me, Tyreek Hill's not lining off sides. Trust <laughs> me, when Kelsey throws back to Tyreek Hill, he's going to be in the touchdown and score a touchdown, and they would probably never be in that situation. It was a huge mistake to let Tyreek Hill go. They should have paid him whatever he wanted. I don't care what you could do to upgrade the defense, and you have. It's like you know, I was thinking about like we're at the oldie station. So you're talking about uh, Paul McCartney and John Lennon. Both are great in their own right, but together they're amazing. And that's what to, to break up Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill was a huge mistake. And I'm saying it to the end. And you see how I think Hill should be the MVP of the league. But that was a disaster. And I think he's trying to defend his players, but it's just it was just a mess at the end. And then here's the other thing. He got so frustrated by this that it was still second. Listen, second and fifteen on the on like the forty five yard line, and he's down three. Now that should be easy. There's a minute yeah. to go. One completion gets you. One field completion gets it, and he, he threw three straight incompletions. So clearly he let that call get, the, get to him. Clearly he they should have just gone down. And here's your, Josh Allen is zero for five in overtime. So you thought you just go and you're at home. Um, absolutely amazing how they f- melted down there at the end of the game. Yeah, it was. Uh... Just a, a really odd finish, but then seeing stuff come out today, the more that it's been scrutinized overnight, there is, you know, someone found a picture of it. The right tackle is lined up in an illegal formation on the play. There's a lot of little things that happen on every play. Standing offside is the most egregious thing you can do. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just. At that point, I mean, I think, I think this is all you know, building up for Mahomes. The year has been tough in terms of they have now five losses, and they're only you know they're it's it's just they're only one game ahead of the Denver Broncos, which is crazy to think this. But I think it's the fact that his wide receiving core has been dropping passes after passes. There's like he's having a bad year, but when your wide receivers are dropping passes, you feel you have to be extra perfect. And now he's getting a lot of criticism his way, and it's just been difficult. And that's where you saw you know it was such a shock because you see that he's such a class guy, such a class act, and then you see what happened at the end of the game. So moving on to the second most anticipated game of the day, Philly taking on Dallas. Philly's kind of been in a little bit of a weird spot here. They got crushed last week by San Francisco, and Dallas very quietly has been playing fantastic, especially at home, averaging 40 points a game at home. Kind of 
you know, to me, this was setting up for a big Dallas win, and that's what we got. You did, and you know, if you talk about the big games, the four huge games between the all the teams now are ten and three. San Francisco could beat Dallas forty-two ten. San Francisco beat the Eagles forty-two to nineteen. So two crushing victories over them. So San Francisco is clearly one. And then the Eagles beat the Cowboys earlier in the year, and now the Cowboys came back and they crushed the Eagles thirty-three to thirteen. The weird thing about this is that if you look at the remaining schedule, San Francisco plays at Arizona. They play Baltimore at home, at Washington, at the Rams at home. You know, they probably should go three and one, four and zero on that. Dallas has the toughest schedule. They're at Buffalo, at Miami, Detroit, and at Washington, so they could lose. Whereas Philadelphia, if the season ends, if they all won their games out, Philadelphia would actually win the division. But Philadelphia is at Seattle, Giants, Arizona, and the Giants again. So really, slightly easier. <laughs> I think the Philadelphia. I think the Eagles are going to win this division, and the Dallas will be the fifth seed as a wild card. I don't think the Dallas is going to beat Miami, Buffalo, Detroit, all those things. But you're right about this game. Philadelphia defense has been awful. They they fumbled the ball three times. They can't run the ball. And I think the question is, Mike McCarthy had to take his appendix taken out because he's a play caller. You know, can he stand on the sidelines? Really great job being on the sidelines, calling a great game. And now Dak Prescott is the lead favorite for the MVP award. As he should be. I mean, his numbers are are eye-popping at this point. I'd still give it to Zary Kill, like you said. But if we're going just quarterbacks, it's got to be Dak right now. What do you want to talk about when, you dis- when we discuss this game? Because for me, the... Removal of Shane Steichen, you know, now the coach in, in uh, Indy, you can see Jalen Hurts is not the same quarterback as he was last year. This offense just looks lost sometimes, whereas last year it seemed like they were going to score on every play. Offense looks lost. The turnovers. Um, Hurts fumbled the ball in the first half. You had A.J. Brown fumble it in the, in the second half, and Smith uh, you know, fumbled the ball in the second half. It was unbelievable how um, everything in terms of the three fumbles and Brandon Audrey, who's this kicker for the, uh, the Cowboys, He is just, he's 30 for 30 on the year. Mm -hmm. He was a a soccer player at Notre Dame. Played soccer, didn't play football at all, went and played at the MLS, was a first-round pick of the MLS, then got, you know, stopped playing the MLS and was sitting at home as a software analyst and then said, I saw, you know, his wife said, you can kick field goals. So he went and started practicing, went and played in the USFL, kicked field goals for Denver. And now he's just, I mean, the question is, could a rookie of the year win, could a (laughs) kicker win the rookie of the year? Because he's, but I think he gives... Comfort now to McCarthy and Prescott, where they last year, remember how they were so nervous about the field goals? Mm. Like they know we can kick from anywhere. I mean, it's unbelievable how they do, but the Eagles just cannot get their running game going. They were they got down in the game uh, 17-6, and then you think, okay, they're down 17-6, and they let Dallas go and score at the end of the half to make it 24-6. Yeah. That was a, just a killer for that. And the weird thing, the only thing about Dak that made it was terrible is in the second half, it's 24-13. Dak has the ball. What's the last thing you can do? Don't give them a pick six turnover. He turns the ball over and they score that make it 24 24 6 24 3. the game was over it was over and he fumbles the ball what a terrible I mean if they would have been losing the game that would have been the turning point of the game you know he ended up having 271 yards two touchdowns and Jake Ferguson their tight end wow is he emerged as a yeah. threat on this team five catches 72 yards and CD Lamb is catching the ball remember he had his drops earlier in his career but six catches 71 yards and a touchdown and they rushed the ball 32 times for 138 just a total demolition on the Cowboys part yeah Jake Ferguson because it kind of came out of nowhere. We were going into this draft like this is a stacked Michael Meyer, um, Dalton Kincaid. Like this is going to be, you know, two great, you know, future Hall of Fame tight ends and Jake Ferguson, the one outperforming all of them. Um, what else you have in this game? Because this, it, it, it was one of these efforts where. I never thought Philly was in the game. Like Philly never looked like they had a chance to do anything correctly. It's just when you look, I think everything, the three losses, Devontae Smith, I mean, in terms of running, they've had the Jets is 18 yards, San Francisco 13 yards, and Dallas 39. When he runs for over 50, they win. When he runs for under 50, they get get beat. And it's really, they have got to get uh, their running game going. 
This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Follow Ira anywhere at Ira on Sports. We've got Tom D'Angelo on the way to talk about John Rahm and also Jeff Fletcher from the Orange County Register set to talk about Shohei Otani. Seattle taking on the 49ers, Ira, and this was one. I don't care how good the 49ers are. Usually, that NFC West plays each other competitively. And even that hasn't really been the case. I think they had a close game with the Rams. But now that Seattle, 28-16 to final, Geno Smith couldn't make it through the game. Not an excuse, though. San Francisco keeps rolling. Well, they started Drew Luck. I mean, Smith couldn't even start that game. So it was the 49ers outgained them 527 yards to 324. Seattle was just 211 on third down. They hung in the game. It was a little weird. It was a little closer. You kept waiting for it to be a complete blowout. It wasn't. At the end of the game, San Francisco intercepted the ball and they sort of ran around and that caused there was a lot of chippiness. Uh, Players were you know pushing, a lot of pushing and shoving and punches were being thrown. But uh, Brock Purdy 19 for 27, 368 yards, two touchdowns. And then McCafferty running, 16 carries 145 yards. Debo Samuel 149 yards. Brandon Ayuk 126 yards. Kittle 76 yards. They have those four weapons along for Purdy. Nobody has four weapons like that. Nobody has two weapons like that. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And plus a great offensive line and a defense that plays well. San Francisco, as I've been saying, I think the entire, you know, like three months, last three months, is the best team in the NFL. For sure. Uh, Rams taking on Baltimore. And this is what a lot of people are like sneaky taking the Rams to win this game. I was in the other camp. I was going to lay the points for sure. I thought Baltimore was going to roll them. Wasn't the case. Game ended up being a lot closer than I thought Baltimore wins in OT. Back and forth, back and forth. I mean, the stats of this game, uh, Sean McVay, the coach of the Rams, is 14-5 and five in the Eastern time zone, which is, you know, they play in the Western time yep. zone, so that's pretty impressive. And he was 43-0 and 0 when leading at the half before in the last, like, 24 games. He's, since then, he's been 12-13 and because they were leading at the half of this game. But uh, Stafford had this great drive to make it 28-23. But the Ravens had a good drive on 3rd and 17. Lamar, first of all, Lamar Jackson, it's like he was focused this game. He looked amazing, running around, passing. But he threw a 3rd and 17 to Zay Flowers for a touchdown. But then Stafford comes back. They're down 3, gets a field goal to tie it 31-31 to go to overtime. At that point, I'm thinking, boy, the Rams have a good shot. They made that. Usually, if you score the last one to force the Time that gives you a chance to win the game. The Ravens go three and out and punt. The Rams go three and out and punt. And then Terrence Wallace, who's not even the first team return punt returner, was in the game and what a return for a punt. And that was sort of like I was at the Jets game against the Bills. Remember how the Jets went mm-hmm. and won the game at the end on a punt return in overtime? That's how they were able to win it on that overtime. But what a great ending to a game. And the fact that Stafford threw for 300 yards, Lamar threw for 300 yards, um, and Cup and uh, Nakua both had good games. And Kyron Williams, who's Phenomenal running back. I love how he runs for the Rams. Had played well, but boy, this is—I mean, the Ravens. This was a big win for the Ravens to win this game under these conditions, and the fact that the Rams came and played really well. It was—it was a win. It was a great win for them. Going back to Thursday night, it was New England taking on Pittsburgh, and this was the lowest under at thirty and a half points since nineteen ninety-three. It was the last time we got under. So. Obviously, the, the bookmakers didn't think we were really going to see fireworks here. They ended up blowing out the over-under early. I mean, we were like halfway through the second quarter. They, they, had, they had crushed the over-under. But this kind of looked like, you know, New England got the win here. I think Bill Belichick looked a little disappointed after the win. I, 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 I don't want to accuse anyone of, you know, tanking for picks, and I don't think he's doing that. But for some reason, he didn't look thrilled to have won this game. Well, they scored 21 points over the previous three games. They scored a total of 13 points. So they're coming to this game. It completely anemic, can't score at all. The Steelers became the first team ever 
to lose to two teams. Out there. I know this is a weird stat, but that were eight games under 500 when you're over 500 because they had lost to the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday and then mm-hmm. they lose on Thursday. It was probably the worst stretch of four games you could imagine to lose. But Bill Belichick's mastery of Tomlin and the Steelers is unbelievable. He is now 10 and 3 for Tomlin. So even though he can lose Tom Brady, he's still beating Tomlin. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he can have anyone. And he's 15 and 4 against the Steelers. And this is when, remember, this is the, the Patriots were the team when the Steelers had Ben and Lavey and Bell and Antonio Brown when Antonio Brown was a crazy and was loaded and were the favorites going in. They always lost it. And again, they can Tomlin kid, it's like it's it's like the water boy, you know, <laughs> they can't beat the other coach. But uh it was the weird thing about this game is they jump out to, you know, a twenty one nothing lead. It was crazy about that. And then the Steelers were like, you know, twenty one three. The field goal, punt, interception, punt, punt, punt. And then uh, they score a touchdown at the end to make it twenty one ten. And then at the second half was crazy. It was like the Patriots, everyone's like, Oh my god, this game's over. No, it's not. The Patriots are terrible, and they were just like holding on Zappy through his interception. New England got the ball, Steelers got the ball on the 16. So they're like, okay, do something. They try to go for it on fourth down, can't get it. So even though they get the ball in the territory, they're not able to do. They finally go and made it 21 18, and then they were punting the whole offsides, whether it was offsides or not. But in the end, the whole story about the game was Pittsburgh had third and two on the 50, two minutes to go, down three. It's similar to the game we're talking about Buffalo and Kansas City. They're down three. They threw the risky, a long pass to Pickens, and then it's fourth and two, and then they throw a long pass to DeAndre Johnson. And I'm like, looking, wait, if you had Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, like anybody, Terry Bradshaw, like maybe you throw a pass if you're throwing to Lynn Swan. But you have Treblitsky <laughs> throwing to DeAndre Johnson and George Pickens, who drop balls all the time. Like, what were you thinking? Like, just get the first down. And Chris Boswell will kick the field goal. You'll go to worst case scenario overtime. It was absolutely the most ridiculous. In a game that mattered so much, why would you throw these 30, 40 yard passes? The chance of it was zero just yeah. to be successful. <laughs> yeah, where's the screens and slants and oh, stuff like that? Make this a quick, quick exit, get it right in their hands and let them try to make a play. Yeah, why are you letting Trubisky air it out there? Really didn't make sense to me. Anything else you want to talk about on this game? No, I just, if you want to go to Instagram, there was this video where they showed like the Steelers passing at the end and they showed the ball just like a football sailing for like a minute on Instagram. <laughs> and that was it. It's like a Trubisky to Johnson, the chances, like if you wrote the percentages, like what's the chance? Like what was it thinking? I just, again, they have like a three-headed monster who's now calling plays. So, but it was just a disaster in terms of, and that was like Matt Kennedy probably came back and, and designed that play. So, Tampa Bay taking on Falcons in an NFC South matchup. Tampa gets the win here, and you're pretty much out on Desmond Ritter at this point, I think. Right? I want to say, what a game. I mean, Ritter Ritter played terrible, but and I was like, he's playing so bad. And then he starts playing, his stats look great. But uh, he threw a pass that Drake London made, I think, one of the top 10 passes of the season. He's on my fantasy team, so I'm watching that game. And London from USC just caught up and rung two defenders. Just an amazing catch. They go down, Ritter ran in for a touchdown to take the lead. But Baker Mayfield comes down, leads the team down, throws it to Godwin for a, a big gain on a third long third down. Then he threw it to Otten for a touchdown, make it 29-25. And the Falcons go down with a chance, and uh, they got it down to, they were down four, so they needed to score a touchdown. They got it down to the three-yard line, but then the time ran out. But there was that was an exciting game. Both teams, though, are 6-7. and seven. So the NFC uh, South is just the, one of the worst divisions in terms of that. The Tampa Bay now leads the division at a 6-7 and seven record. Jaguars taking on the Browns, and this was one we kind of didn't know what was going to happen here because the, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, I believe, is concussion protocol, so they didn't know if he's going to be able to start. Trevor Lawrence somehow got a high ankle sprain last week at his back playing this week, which is just remarkable. We didn't know what we were going to get going into this game. Browns look good, and, and this is one of those things, like, 
Can we start calling him like Joe Flactana or something? Like, where did Joe Flacco was on his couch two weeks ago? Not his couch, his parents' couch. His parents he couch. said he was just sitting on his parents' couch <laughs> at his parents' house when he got the phone call, just sitting there and saying, "Do you want to be our quarterback?" And he comes in and does throws three times. I mean, it just shows you comes in throws three hundred yards and three touchdowns. Remember, Joe Flacco has won a Super Bowl for the Ravens, um, and uh, remember Lamar Jackson replaced Joe Flacco. Yeah. It shows you think Lamar Jackson's been in the league seems like forever, but he, it shows when he came in, Flacco was the quarterback. But what a now there's been four. Quarter, different quarterbacks have won games for the Browns, which is crazy to happen. Yeah, that's wild to think about. This whole season, quarterback-wise, has just been insane. Um, anything else you want to talk about with this? Trevor game? Lawrence is tough. I'll tell you he's what, he's tough. tough. Yeah, he but, came in, but he had a terrible game. Yeah, Absolutely. Let, let's let CJ Beathard play. If that if if you're not going to be able to to get it done versus a good Browns defense. Sit the week out. I don't know. Yeah, it was just, it was, he played, he had three interceptions, and every time where I thought they had their chance, and even with, they were down 28-21. I mean, this one o'clock window was so exciting with all these different games. They're down 28-21 with four minutes to go, and they weren't able to score there. I, I one little point, I'm driving, you know, I listen to fantasy, all the fantasy lines. So they called him about Evan Ingram, who's the, the, the tight end for the uh, Jaguars, and someone said, and the experts were all saying, do not start him because the Browns have the greatest defense against tight ends in the history of football. Do not start him under mm-hmm. any circumstance. Don't start. Like a guy called in and he goes, I'm telling you, don't start him. Don't start him. He had 11 catches, 95 yards, and two touchdowns. So that's why these experts on fantasy are so wrong. And I remember, like, I couldn't believe I could even the yeah, words. almost 40 points. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it was so funny about that. Yeah, no, you can't listen to those guys. You have to trust yourself there. Um, like, is the honeymoon over in Detroit, Ira? Detroit? You said it. You you were on the, you were again, you were the anti-Detroit bandwagon from when this started. It, it's, it's, it's. Unfortunate because I want them to be good. I like the team. I I like the coaching. I, everything is, is there for this team, but they just like out of nowhere they they forgot how to play football. Everyone people thought they were going to win the NFC around week six. Now here we are that they're just dropping games to bad teams. Well, they're playing at Chicago. They lost twenty eight to thirteen. They were favored by three and a half on this game. And Jared Goff, I've known he's had a history of being in you know poor and bad weather. But then I thought you know I'm trying to pick the game and I'm thinking well, but didn't Goff play well against Green Bay against Aaron Rodgers last year? Remember that game when he won? They came in there. So I'm thinking okay, Detroit's going to do well. They're going to play well. But wow, just a, it was one of those type of games. It was a total blowout. Um, and uh, it was. Just it was terrible. I mean, Detroit was at 13 and a half time, but then in the second half, just like did absolutely nothing the entire second half, and they actually made Justin Fields look good. Justin Fields had had another good game, and the Bears are only five and eight. But Fields is sort of like I think he's playing to be the Atlanta quarterback next year. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Very well, could be Indianapolis taking on the Bengals and. Jake Browning, nobody knew who this guy was three weeks ago. He looks like he could be a competent NFL quarterback. Well, he's a Washington quarterback, the Washington Huskies. I, the one story about this game I liked is they showed all his uh, family sitting in a suite during the game, and then he made a comment after the game. He goes, I'd like to thank Joe Burrow because that's Joe Burrow's suite. And Joe Burrow gave tickets to all of Jake Browning's family because Joe Burrow's injured, can't play. And that was so nice of him to give tickets to, mm. to Jake Browning's family for that. But he threw 275 yards, two touchdowns, interception. He was 14-14 in halftime, but then just, uh, just played great there in the second half for the win and uh it was you know it was one of those things where boy now again both these teams are seven and six so let's talk about one of the weirder games of the day houston a team i've really rallied behind this year i'm, I'm on the houston bandwagon taking on the what i consider very lowly new york jets especially on the offensive side of the ball and i had one bet i made this week ira it was a parlay of chuba hubbard over 54 yards last week he had 25 touches for 105 yards like okay great cj stroud was 208 yards was his over-under, and he's averaging 300 a game. His last six games, he's averaging 350 yards a game. I mean, he, there's no way he doesn't get to 208 yards. You look at it halftime, he had 26 yards. Like, what happened here? He ended up getting hurt, not finishing the game, but 
the Jets' defense was just unbelievable. Big win for the Jets. And everyone's giving Zach Wilson credit. I mean, it's so funny. Some Jet fans think it's Zach Wilson. It's like Jet fans are so beside themselves this season. But I think it gets back to, again, I like Houston. I like C.J. Stroud. I think they're great. But don't elevate them into this elite, elite category just yet. C.J. Stroud's not winning the MVP. The Houston's not going to the Super Bowl. They're good. They're nice. But they're not. You don't. That's what I think the excitement so much in the fact that Jets, where well, the Jets have these wins over Philadelphia. <laughs> they have the wins over Houston. <laughs> But it was like, it was one of the things Zach Wilson had 300 yards, which is un- amazing, which is great. So all that came, but in the Senate, it was 0 0 at halftime, and then Houston decided not to play the second half. It, it didn't hurt, it, it didn't help. Uh, Tank Dell, rookie breakout star for for uh, Houston, out for the season. They also lost Nico Collins in this game, so Shroud didn't have much to go to, but there's no excuse for, for how poor that offense performed. So here we are. Right? We're getting down to the nitty-gritty of the season. Still two games tonight we'll talk about in a minute, but where do we, where do we sit standings-wise? Well, if you're a Charger fan, Raider fan, Jets, uh, Titans, or England, New England Patriots, you're, you're done. I mean, there's no chance for there, but... Miami, if they win tonight, they're three games over the Bills. So they got this division because there's only four games left. Baltimore is two games over the Browns. But Jacksonville now has let the Colts and the Texans in. They're only one game ahead of them. And the Chiefs, can you believe this, is only one game ahead of the Broncos. But Baltimore and Miami uh, are battling for them one seat. This will be decided on the 31st, on New Year's Eve, when they play each other. Miami's at Baltimore. And that's going to be the game because I think that could be who's going to go to the AFC because that is the key game in terms of what happens in this in this for the number one seat. Remember, the number one seat gets a bye. The other division leaders play three wild cards. So there's three wild cards. There's four division winners and the number one seat gets the bye. But the wild card, the Browns are 85 and then there are six teams at 7-6. Steelers, Colts, Texans, Broncos, Bengals, and Bills all in that mix of that 7-6. and six. So anything could happen in the AFC. We, we didn't talk about um, Broncos and Chargers. And this is one, if you haven't been paying attention, Denver's been playing really good. Six and one in their last seven games. They're back in the playoff hunt after opening up one and five. How does Brandon Staley have a job still? I mean, we talk, we've been talking about this for over a year now, the just embarrassing losses. And this team just looks worse every single week. Justin Herbert's injured. We don't know what his status is going to be, but it's no excuse for how poor this team is. Two years ago, we talked about the AFC West, about how loaded they are with Kansas City and the Chargers and the Raiders and the Broncos. We thought they were going to be perfect and, and when they got Russell Wilson, and it's been a disaster. And this is one of those years, if you're a Charger fan, you're like, what happened? Like, the, this, the Chiefs are vulnerable. This is the worst the Chiefs have looked. Yeah. And nobody can take advantage in this division. And with the Broncos, who started the, you know, lost, you know, by 70 points to the, they gave us 70 points it's to the, the Dolphins, Dolphins yeah. have come back and done this. So it's like, that's where I think with and Justin Herbert, I really, I mean, Staley should be fired. Herbert should, broke his, factory to his finger, should not play at all. Got, just set it up, just close the season down and begin next year with a new coach. Hey, Kellen Moore, too, is being hyped as like the next great offensive mind. He goes, he leaves... Dallas. Dallas's offense is amazing without him, and the Chargers' offense is completely tanked. It's making Mike McCarthy smart for getting rid of Kellen yeah. Moore. He said, that, he said, I'm going to do a better job, and people criticized him for that, but it, clearly Dak Prescott seems much more comfortable having McCarthy call the plays. Uh, what about the uh, NFC here? Well, if the Giants lose tonight, they're out. Washington, Arizona. They're already done. Don't uh, worry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the three teams, I, you know, I can go through the whole mix and everything. There's only three teams that are going to Super Bowl. It's either San Francisco, Dallas, or Philly. Everyone else is it's just commentary. Yeah. The rest is it's one of those things. San Francisco is going to have the number one seed, and I think Dallas, I think I said, I think that Philadelphia will have, you know, with the division, but it'll just come. It, San Francisco's not losing. It's one of those three teams is going to play in the Super Bowl in February. Yeah, the Detroit looks like they were a fluke, you know, all along. So that there was another team like maybe they could challenge the NFC. The Josh Dobbs experiment seems to be oh, not experiment over, but the honeymoon phase is over with, with Josh Dobbs after the miraculous turnaround he had. So Minnesota's out of it. Yeah, I mean, 
at this point, and of course things change, and I'm wrong all the time, but if San Francisco is not in the Super Bowl, it just my my head will explode. It was just would not make sense to me. It would have to be that Dallas. Remember, the, for them though, they're going to play at home, so they get the number one seed. But Dallas will have to go to San Francisco to win that game, and that's going to be. But it's football, so anything can happen. But the fact is, that Dallas is good enough to win that game. Philadelphia, if they get their act together, I'm not ready to write everything off of Philadelphia. They have gone through this stretch here, but I, I think those are the three teams. There's nobody in the in the class of those three. So Monday night football tonight. No idea what the NFL is doing here. Why is there two games not at the exact same time? Ira? We talked about it earlier. They used to do two Monday night games week one. And it'd be you know one game at like 6.30, the other one at 9. So maybe they overlap by 10 minutes. This year, they did it week one. They're an hour apart. And now they're doing another one mid-season, both games at the same time. How does this make any sense? So Titans and Dolphins. Last week, um, Titans taking on the uh, Colts. And... Alec Pierce, who is just kind of a guy, not like anything spectacular. Him and Gardner Minshew were able to torch the secondary of the Tennessee Titans. I don't know what's going to happen tonight with Tyreek Hill, but I think anything less than like 150 and a touchdown would be a disappointing game for Tyreek. Well, that's why Miami's favorite by 14 in this game. I think the question with Miami is they get out to a fast lead. There's, they, at this point, I'm going to say this one thing, is that they really have to think about taking two out early. If you get a huge lead in these games, because if two is hurt, this 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 is it's over. It's done. It's yeah. finished. So the fact is, I think, and, and when you're up in a big in the lead, an offender sometimes comes in, sometimes you replace the offensive lineman that might have been injured, you never had a situation. But I think if there's ever a game where they get a lead, and this could be, this looks like one of those games, and maybe next week against the Jets too, but they got to take two out. They cannot risk anything. And if I'm Tua, and the choice is throwing a pick six or getting an injury, any risk at all, throw the pick six. Like you cannot, Tua cannot get hurt, and he's gone through this whole year. All these other quarterbacks get hurt. Everybody's yeah, injured. Eighty percent of the league, and, and, and Tua is, is healthy and hasn't really taken. Is it not? A, just, hasn't been like missed a play even though for an injury. So you got to keep him healthy, and you got to stay. And you can't. And if the league gets, I mean, to me, that's what I'm looking at. This game more than anything is keeping Tua healthy at the game. I have a lot of trouble laying 14 points in a professional sporting event. But I think this is one of the occasions where you have to do it. I, I, I'll lay the points here with the Dolphins. What about you? I mean, you, you think the Titans can keep it close? No, or? I don't. They've lost to the Steelers, the Bucks, the Jaguars. The only team they beat, and they lost to the Colts, was the only team they beat was the Panthers. So yeah. I think Titans are really milling it, unless Will Levis has this amazing game. But it's just, it's the thing. The, this Titans team is just, everything's off the rails on this team. And I think that they'll just blow them out. The only thing is, a, you know, I don't think they're even capable of a backdoor cover in terms of the end of the game. I think the Dolphins will just go out, you know, 35 to nothing. But they, they had a slow start against the Panthers. I don't think this team. Going to start. So also the fact that it's on Monday night, it's going to give a chance for the Dolphins. Like I, that game when they were against the Panthers, like one o'clock. Anyway, this is going to be Monday night. They're going to look good. Hill wants to, you know, they have all the touchdown formations and dance routines all set up. They want to get this all done. So I think the Dolphins will blow them yeah, out. Yeah, the game versus the Panthers. It was like I was a little busy and I got to my TV at like one fifteen and I'm like fourteen nothing. <laughs> Carolina managed to score twice that. Fast. They just fought with them. It was like it was a handicap, <laughs> yeah, like a exactly. golf. <laughs> uh, also going to see Packers take on the Giants. This is. An interesting one to me a little bit because Jordan Love's really gotten better. I mean, we were ready to bury him after five weeks. Last three weeks, he's been pretty good. Giants defense has sneakily been pretty good the last couple of weeks. Tommy DeVito maybe gets a little magic here. I would take the Giants in the points here. I don't think the Packers have enough to cover, but I do think they win the game. I like I like that too. I think that I think this the Packers at six and six. Everyone thinks that they're a superstar team. They're not. I mean, I was I saw them lose to the Steelers. I mean, they lost Steelers. Like I am not sold on them. I'm not sold on this team. I'm not the Giants. I like the Giants with six points at home. I like them. Uh, the the we, you know, it's, the weather's going to be nice. It's actually now cleared up. It was not going to have that crazy rain that they had. But no, I like the Giants plus six. Uh, 
what are we watching next week? Um, a couple big games. You know, the Steelers play. The Saturday games are interesting. Minnesota's at Cincinnati, Pittsburgh's at Indianapolis, and Denver's at Detroit. So every game sort of has playoff implications. Sat on Sunday, Dallas at Buffalo. What a game on that going to be. Dak versus Josh Allen. The letdown but for both teams for these having the big win. Like, that's going to be exciting. And Baltimore's at Jacksonville. That's going to be on Sunday night. So I like those two Sunday, those late games there on uh, Sunday. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Still have Tom D'Angelo to come. We're going to talk all about John Rahm. Also, Jeff Fletcher to Join us. Talk about Shohei Otani. So, college football, we're kind of on a hiatus now for a while until anything meaningful happens, but the Heisman Trophy was decided. Congrats to Jaden Daniels, and we're hearing now some NFL insiders say, like, he's going to be the steal of the draft. Someone's going to get him day two, and he could transform a franchise. I think he's day one, and I think these quarterbacks are all. I mean, when you look at quarterback play in the NFL right now, I, you, but this is all said and done, I think you're going to be seeing five or six quarterbacks take it in the first round. But Daniels, the funny thing about this is, first of all, it was a great. I watched the whole show. It's so impressive from the Time Warner Center, and each one of the four finalists, Daniels, Penix, Nix, and Marvin Harrison Jr., were absolutely phenomenal. I love seeing their families, their coaches, everything about this show. I like the old Heisman Trophy. It's the number one trophy. Like, if you could win one trophy, I think, more than MVP, of the NFL, or that's the trophy. It's such a, it's so impressive. Um, they all transferred. Daniels played three years at Arizona State, then two years at LSU. Penix, four years at Indiana, at Indiana, two years at Washington. And Nix was three years at Auburn's, two years at Oregon. I mean, that's crazy. Harrison's been all his time at Ohio State. But Daniels, it was a little closer in the voting. He was at 2,000 votes. Penix was 1,700. He had another 100 first vote, you know, first place votes than Penix did, and Nix was in third. But um, it was, you know, the one thing about Daniels is that he had through for 72 percent, 300 yards, 40 touchdowns, four interceptions, but he gave up 22 sacks, but he rushed for 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns. But the problem is that against his, a lot of his stats were padded. Six touchdowns against Georgia State, three against Army, five against Grambling. These are games where they won like 60 to 14, 62 nothing, 72 10. He really, like almost 10 of his 40 touchdowns were in those games, really padding those stats. Now, I'm not saying other people don't pad it. And he did well in the losses. They had three losses to Bama, Mississippi, and Florida State. And he didn't play poorly in those games. I still, I would think he deserved it because Penix looked like after the first four games, he had 400 yards. I told him on the show, I thought he's going to be the, the, the Heisman. 16 touchdowns, two interceptions. But even though they won the rest of their games, he had some games like Arizona State where he threw no touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, just was not. He had 33 touchdowns, nine interceptions on the year. But I felt like it wasn't impressive. He didn't run the ball at all. He only had like a negative yards rushing for the year. Bo Nix was almost 80%. I, mean, I thought 80%, Bo Nix had it like with two weeks to go. 40 touchdowns, three intercepts, just three Three interceptions and 40 touchdowns, only five sacks on the year. Five. I mean, so Jalen Daniels, 22 sacks. Penix was like 10 sacks. He's only had five sacks, only three interceptions. And he also ran for 200 yards and six touchdowns. Last year he ran for five. But the two losses to Penix, there was no way they could have given it to Knicks. And Marvin Harrison is, you know, arguably one of the greatest wide receivers we've seen. But he still was like ninth. He only had 67 catches, 1,200 yards, 14 touchdowns. I think it was like to win as a wide receiver, you have to be on the dominant team. And uh, Devontae Smith did it. But I think it's really, really hard to do it if you're just, if you're not playing in the in the college football playoffs and something that kind of surprised some people was dylan gabriel entering their transfer portal not just dylan gabriel 
But Kia Moore, DJ Ungley, Dante Moore, who was a UCLA quarterback, Kyle McCord of Ohio State was the guarding quarterback. Now you're seeing players just play one year. Even the starting quarterback of Ohio State leaves. But Dylan Gabriel, who was at UCF at Oklahoma, seems like he's been playing for about six, seven, eight years. But he's back, and they're all getting money now. Now you can stay longer. So he's going to Oregon. And Oregon, what a brilliant move. They lose Bo Nix. They bring Dylan Gabriel in, who had 3,600 yards, 30 touchdowns, six interceptions, and was one of the favorites, also one of the top ten for the Heisman Trophy. Like to bring in this Oklahoma. Now he left Oklahoma to go to Oregon, but to see what Dan Lanning does in that offense, I mean, you almost have to say he's one of the favorites for the Heisman next year to go in there. But that's, you're looking at these quarterbacks, and I like Cam Ward for Washington State. I think he's phenomenal. And I think where these quarterbacks go, and you're going to see again next year at the Heisman time, some of these transfer quarterbacks for that transfer that year are going to be there on the stage. So if talking about college football has you getting excited for the big bowl games, Rose Bowl's coming up. Why not fly private for, uh, to see Michigan and Alabama? It's a 30-passenger jet going from Boca Raton right to Van Nuys, California. So you can avoid LAX. You're right by Los Angeles and Pasadena. Going to be leaving on the morning of December 29th, return to Florida on the afternoon of January 2nd. It's Millennium Jet Card. It'll give you a great bowl experience flying private. 561-660-8540. That's 561-660-8540. Imagine how easy it'll be to drive right up to the plane, avoid TSA, avoid all that, park for free, fly nonstop in all first-class seats, drinks and snacks along the way. It's a Millennium Jet Card taking you to the Rose Bowl. 561-660-8540. 561-660-8540. Let's talk Rom here for just a second before we get to Tom D'Angelo. we got a minute or two. This is one of these... I mean, to me, this is massive. And I think a lot of the golf purists who hate live are like, it's no big deal. It's kind of a big deal. He's one of the best two or three golfers in the world. You showed me the stat the other day. 15 of the last 30 majors, 15 of them are won by guys on live. Like, how do people that support the PGA Tour not think that this is a big deal, that some of the best players in the world don't no longer want to play there? Right, and I think this definitely moves the needle. I mean, people are waiting for these stars and also which ones come. And if you look at the, the roster, some of the live golfers are older, some of them are older, but they're more entertaining. And that's all about entertaining, and that's what you have to think. You know, the Scotty Scheffler is number one in the world, though, but it's not as entertaining. Wyndham Clark, Brian Harmon, these players aren't the entertaining, whereas the live golfers are. But then when you put someone like Rom, who is clearly entertaining and clearly phenomenal, and you saw what just had to watch the Ryder Cup where he was just single-handedly almost won the Ryder Cup for, for the Europeans. This is moves the needle. He's got paid a fortune. But the idea is that you, I think people have to look at the, 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 the right now, if I had to make a bet, I think the Live Tour is going to be our tour that we're going to be watching. And the PGA Tour could become like the Corn Ferry Tour because <laughs> that's what's going to happen. And I think one of the things is Jay Monahan, when you sign that deal, when they signed it, when they, or the deal, which they said they were going to withdraw the lawsuits, then he took a month leave of absence for medical, which is, you know, you know he came back to his health and everything. But the fact is, you, he had to keep the momentum and he kept the, the golfers in the dark about what was happening. And they're like, that's why Rom says, well, I'm not going to miss it next time. This is my chance to sign mm -hmm. this money. And, you know, J.J. Watt made a comment. If Rom, he's friends with the, in Arizona with, with Rom, he said, if he doesn't go do it, I'm going to get him his car and I'm going to drive him there and force <laughs> him to go. So that's the point. So No, it, it, it's kind of just crazy how it panned out. If, the, if Augusta was tomorrow, you think three of the top five, uh, you know, three of the top five betting-wise are going to be up from live? Right. It, it's, this is a big deal. And what's, to me, it's, well, I'm going to talk to Tom D'Angelo in a second. This is the tip of the iceberg thing. Do, 
now all the rumors are kicking up. Morikawa might want out. Cantley, Shoffley, they're not the best players on the tour, but they're that second tier. And if you lose all those guys, you're just sitting around have Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, and Rory staring at each other. And, they, and they're not going to play all the events, so you have to finish. You have to fill your entire calendar. So you're going to have these elevated events that they have, but all the other events, you're going to look down the leaderboard and see nobody on there. And then you're going to be like the network saying, "Why are we?" Te-? You know, there's a point where they have not got the network TV deal. But if all the golfers are playing so soon, the networks are going to cut a deal with Live, saying these were all the golfers that people are going to watch. So we got to show the Live Tour. Let's go to Tom D'Angelo here. It's Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports. We're so excited to talk to Tom D'Angelo, who is uh, the golf expert and writer for the Palm Beach Post. We've had him on a couple times before and an expert on everything that's going on with golf. So this week, Tom Mickelson, a few of two years ago, Mickelson goes to live Dustin Johnson, Brooks, then Cam Smith. But the John Rahm move to live, I think moved a needle differently than had in the past. What makes the Rahm move a lot different than even the Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Brooks, Kepka, Cam Smith uh, move? Well, yeah, first of all, I would thanks for having me, but yeah, there's no question. This feels different. Um, this several reasons. Number one, it comes what two, three weeks before they had this deadline to kind of complete this framework agreement between the PIF and the PGA Tour, and no one believed that deadline was going to be met anyway. But um, people are wondering if there's even going to be an agreement now with with all that's happened over the last two or three months. That just doesn't seem like these. This whole, you know, working in unity and falling under the same umbrella. Well, it doesn't seem like these two tours are, are getting along very well now, for lack of a better term. And, and no one knew if this was going to happen anyway. So by signing John Rahm, remember, when this agreement happened in June, in early, early July, early June, there was a, the language of it said that they would stop poaching each other players. Well, the Justice Department wanted them to take that out uh, because of antitrust concerns and 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 although the pga tour said that they believed the language was lawful they said well it doesn't matter because you know we're working in good faith and as i wrote <laughs> in my column you know how did how did that work out so this is this is without question a power play and the pga tour uh, i'm sorry live uh getting leverage on the pga tour because if these if these uh if this agreement ever does happen you know, this is they're going back to the table and they're saying, well, you know, now we've shown to you that we're still available, we're still able to pull some of your best players. So whatever they were talking about, I'm guessing that um, that they're going back to the table and Liv is saying, you know, is is saying, you know, trying to trying to um, change those those that language or make it more favorable for their side. Um, and besides the fact, it's just the the type of player that. So the timing was just was just made this whole thing just seem so much different than when Brooks Kepka or Cam Smith and those guys all signed. It just it, it it you know the other thing about it is Liv was has lost had lost a lot of momentum. You know, people thought Liv was gonna actually be going away. They 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 promised us a, a big names a year ago. That never materialized. The 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 television deal is kind of laughable. No one really watches it. Um, the format has never really taken hold and it just has the feel to a lot of people that it still has the feel of an exhibition. And this, this just changes things. 
Um, do you think that Rom, in terms of you know, being you know, winning the majors, being number one, two in the world, and also being well liked and well respected all throughout, you know, from both Europe and America, that made it, you know, something like they can't criticize him. Oh, he's over the hill. He's not well liked. No one likes him. It sort of like t- took away all those criticisms that some of the other golfers yeah. had. There's nothing you can say. Like you can say that Brooks Kepka was injured. He didn't know how good he was going to be. Phil Mickelson has definitely seen his best golf his way in his review. Um, you know, Cam Smith had won a uh, Cameron Smith had won the had won a mate had won a major, but you know, really, does Cam Smith move the needle? Um, the other guy, there are other guys. You know, Dustin Johnson, kind of aloof, not a not a, a real. I, I mean, people will go out to watch Dustin Johnson play golf. But his personality, you know, he's he, he was not one of the uh, more popular as far as personality and with fans. And John Rahm checks all those boxes, and not just that, he checks these boxes worldwide. He's, uh, you know, he's he's people like him. He has a, he has a great personality. Uh, he's one of the top three in the world. Has been one of the top three in the world for many, many, many consecutive weeks now. Um, and he's and you know he's he's from Spain, so he's uh, he's massively popular over in Europe and what what did Europe just do two months ago they won the Ryder Cup and John Rahm was one of their stars right uh this this just checked all those boxes and if you had a pick one if you had a pick had to pick a player that you'd say how would who would benefit live the most well you know they're not going to get Tiger Woods they're not going to get Rory McIlroy the next guy even ahead of Scotty Scheffler because Scotty Scheffler you know is he's, he's a good guy he's a great golfer he's kind of a boring guy but you would say <laughs> You would say John Rahm is the guy. And then I think how the PJ handled this, you know, they made the, they, first of all, they're criticizing Liv, like nobody could go, anyone who goes to Liv is the worst thing in the world. Then out of nowhere, a few months ago, they make this announcement that they're doing a deal with Liv without really telling Rory and Tiger and everyone else. So now that whole, the allure of, I mean, the whole, I guess the veneer of Liv being the worst place, well, if they're so bad, then why is the PJ doing a deal? Right. But not to have that deal finalized, leave it open like that, I think let them, you know, for the for someone to go after Rom, Liv to go after Rom, because now it's not like, you can, they can't criticize Live so much because they were ready to just do a deal with Liv. Exactly. How about they were? First of all, they were totally vulnerable because we're in this no man's land. <clears throat> but what's going on with the deal? Excuse me. But uh, well, exactly what you said. If, if it's so bad to deal with the Saudis, well, what have you been doing? What were you doing for seven weeks in secrecy last year in in, uh, in April and May before you announced this deal in June? You were dealing with the Saudis, so I guess all those all, all those debts are off. And now the next point is with the majors, the fact with Rom going, now 11 of the, the last 19 major winners are in live. The pressure's got to be on these majors. They're like They can't really have, you know, the, the, again, people say, well, they were last year, but of course the world ranking points are going down each year when they're not really playing in events that get world ranking points. But at what point do the majors say, we cannot have a tournament and say, this is a major if we don't have Kepka, we don't have Rom, we don't have DJ, we don't have DeChambeau, all those things. Well, that at least they're not they're not under the gun for that because all those guys are eligible for a long time. Um, well, you know at least Kepka is he just won two years ago. Uh, Rom just won he's eligible for five more years. Um, Cam Smith just won he's last he's eligible for four more years. Uh, Dustin Johnson's eligible for three more. So they really don't have to deal with. I who knows what the landscape of golf is going to be. Once I think before anything is decided, we got to find out is there going to be a deal or not. Once there's a deal, if, if they come, if whatever this deal looks like, if it goes through, if, if they do agree, uh, then you know that 
then then once that happens, then everybody's eligible for majors because now they have just said we're working together. So all that's all that's off. Um, and the the only question is, and once that happens, does the World Golf Ranking points come back in into play? Um, if there's no deal, and and, uh, and and Liv continues to do what they're doing, which I believe if there's no deal, they're going to double down. I will not be surprised if Tony Finau announces within the next few weeks he's going to live. You know, and if there's if and if there's no deal and they continue to double down and they continue to throw money, number one, how long do they do that for? They they are not getting any return on their investment. They're 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 spending billion dollars a year, basically. They've already put in more than two billion into this into this venture. Um, how how long do they continue to do that without any investment? Because the sponsors are not coming to live. The TV deal is not going to get any better. They're paying for everything, and they're getting no, no return. So if there's no deal, how long do they, how long does now we know now you know this is for sure. Saudi Arabia is not going to run out of money. That's not going to happen, <laughs> and they're going to have the money for uh, forever. But do they do they continue to just Throw this money. Uh, is is it worth it to them to throw this money at for their reputation and spend a billion dollars a year? Maybe it is when you have a when you have a, a you know a public wealth fund that's worth over seven eight hundred billion dollars. Maybe this means nothing to them. I don't know. Um, so if that's the case and they want to keep throwing money, they, yeah, they'll continue to get some players. How good are the players going to be? At what point have they reached the you know? Do they ever convince Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantley and Tony Finau and Terrell Hatton? You know, if they start getting those four and a few more, now now they're talking. Now that now the PJ Tour will come back groveling for a deal. So there's so much to be determined be, be, before we realize before it's determined whether how how the majors play into this. Because for the next two three years, the majors are okay. Because really, how many players on and live move the needle and are worthy of playing in the majors? Just a handful, and most of those guys right now are eligible for the majors. I guess the pressure the PGA Tour also is on is that we saw with the Honda Classic in terms of that they want to spend more money for their events to be able to keep these players playing. But the sponsors like the Honda, as you wrote in your in the paper, the Palm Beach Post said, you know, weren't willing to go increase what they've been paying, and they were the longest running sponsor. And you're finding a number of these other sponsors. I think Wells Fargo just pulled out of their tournament, so it's going to be hard. The PGA thought that they would be able to match the numbers and match the amounts, yep. and, and it, they're not finding that the coffers are being filled by anyone else that can actually match the payouts that Liv is paying. Well, and, and part of this deal, reportedly, was uh, the PIF was going to pay, was going to contribute a billion to two billion to the PGA Tour as part of this, and that would have been the money they needed to, you know, continue on with these signature events of twenty million dollar per, prize purse, uh, you know, twenty million dollars purse, and um, they they continue on with it without that money. You know, there's all kinds of talk that they're they've been hitting up people and they're trying to cobble together a, a, a you know a, a bunch of sponsors and and different companies to to uh, to help pay for these increased purses. Um, how long does that go? Remember that that's just they have to do this every year. I, I don't know how long they can do that, but they know right now they can't. This is not sustainable under their current model. This is not sustainable to have these eight signature events with twenty million dollar purses. Which are which is what they basically championed to to kind of combat uh, lives increased purses. And then we had the question. You sort of answered it, the names of Finau, Hatton, Shoffley, and Canley. But I mean, you're almost at a situation. Maybe the live just says, "Let's end it now and let's go after like Spieth and maybe get Fowler this time because now he's playing better and those things." I mean, besides Rory, because I think it's like these golfers who had the chance, they turn down the money, and then they're like, "Well, now if, I, if this is my my last chance, maybe to get the big upfront signing bonuses from Live." 
Yeah, I don't think there's anyone. There's nobody uh, off limits. I mean, it, basically Tiger and Rory. Yeah, those would be the, the two that he would think would never, ever. But I, there's, there's nobody beyond that. I don't think Jordan Spieth that Justin Thomas would ever go. Uh, but beyond that, I can't tell you that I don't. I, I, anybody's possible. Sure, Ricky's possible. Um, I'm not. I'd probably put Jordan. I'd probably put Spieth in that. Uh, yeah, Spieth and, and, and Justin's what I said. But beyond that, I think anybody. Uh, you know, you, you've heard rumors that they just can, they just persist. You know, Ricky Fowler has told me three times that no, he's not going. Just Jason Day has also told me three times. But John Rahm was adamant all year that he wasn't going. So things change. Uh, but I, there's nobody, there, no, there'd be nobody off limits for them. Well, Tom, I really appreciate you taking the time out to come on I Run Sports and give us your insight into this whole. I mean, we're going to have, uh, talking about Otani and Rom. I mean, two two athletes that got over a billion dollars this week. So it's pretty exciting. <laughs> big money in sports right now. Yeah, that, yeah that, that's a great point. That $700 million for baseball in Depending on the reports, five hundred and fifty million plus whatever he wins, so over six hundred million he will make. You know, total next year anyway. On uh, for a golfer, yeah, that's. Um, <laughs> I think I think so. the athletes, the high end athletes, are doing pretty well for themselves. So, Tom, thanks a lot for coming on I Run Sports. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Ira. Awesome stuff there. We love having Tom D'Angelo here on I Run Sports. So. Ira, the, the big domino that everyone was waiting on to fall is where is Shohei Otani going to sign? We know now it's the Dodgers to the biggest contract ever given in North American sport. Ten years, $700 million. There was a lot of steam picking up for Toronto, which I thought was ridiculous. The guy said, I want to play on the West Coast. He doesn't want to play in, in big market games. Are you going to play the Yankees and, and Red Sox, you know, 20 times a year? So it just made sense to me. I thought it was always going to be the Giants or the Dodgers. He settled in, and it, you kind of had a, a interesting story a take on this on how they set it up to do this well in terms of they have not been i mean the last couple of years they did not sign Corey seager Corey seager who was the mvp of the now the two-time mvp of the world series he was mvp of the dodgers when the dodgers won the world series and they let him walk they didn't they they were competitive but they let the rangers they felt like he should come back for more money they shouldn't have to overpay what the rangers they felt like if it's equal he would go back he didn't come back and they left trey turner go and they didn't sign machado a couple years ago so it's almost like they haven't signed any big name free agents they didn't go and bring aaron judge in so all these things they did they're sitting there and look at their payroll they have freeman they have bats and nobody else 150 million and this is a team that's been spending 250 this is a pirates that'd be crazy but they've been <laughs> spending like this crazy all the time so i felt like they had the money for it that no one's gonna outspend them if they wanted otani and then from the publicity and everything with their tickets i mean they asked their season ticket holders i'm friends with them they asked them to pay a lot of money for these tickets there's a lot they're very expensive you have the celebrity your stars you're in the la market you got you have lebron for the lakers you got to have this pizzazz and this is what otani brings Let's go to Jeff Fletcher. It's Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports. We're so fortunate to have Jeff Fletcher. He's the Angels beat writer, beat writer for the Orange County Register. We've had him on before. He's the author of Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani, the greatest baseball season ever played. But Jeff, thanks so much for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, this is a big time to have you on there. He finally signs. We had you on a few months ago debating on at the trade deadline, but it came down to between Toronto, the Dodgers, and the Angels. He signed for $700 million. Was Toronto real? Was the whole idea about him flying on that plane and the tracking, was that, do you think that was real, or that was sort of just the media's in fascination with it? Uh, well, he obviously was not on that plane, uh, <laughs> so it wasn't real, but uh, the fact that Toronto was a serious bidder is the reason that people were willing to believe that. And, you know, we, uh, there are pretty strong indications that he did go to visit their, their spring training facility in uh, Florida. 
So that pretty much tells you that he they were uh, on the short list. So I think that's why people were willing to believe the story about the flight to Toronto. And the Angels were added to the end. Now, people criticize the Angels. Do they say regret not trading? But they must have given a competitive offer for them to be there with the Dodgers at the end. Yeah, I mean, I think that their their advantage all along was familiarity and comfort. And, you know, Tani is a creature of habit. He's very routine-oriented. And he knew what he was going to have with the Angels as far as the way he was going to be used, the way he was going to uh, the people he was going to deal with, his media responsibilities, you know, the rehab from surgery, uh, everything he, he knew about. Uh, he could live in the same place, all that stuff. So I think if, uh, if it came down to Otani really wanting to just be comfortable, the Angels wanted to remain there and say, hey, we're, we're here for you if that's what you choose. What do, what do you think their final number was? I mean, for the Dodgers to go to 700, I think a lot of people were talking around 500, maybe something like that. The 700 was a lot lot higher than people were expecting. Well, I, I think a lot of, you know, when we found out that a lot of the contract is deferred, that makes the actual value of it much less than 700. So we are going to wait to see, you know, when the actual numbers come out, what the actual value is. I wouldn't be surprised if the actual value is, is more like 540s, 530, 550, something like that. And uh, that would be a lot more uh, in the range of what we were expecting. And you just cannot be surprised that he you know, went to the Dodgers, considering that over the last two years they didn't sign you know, Corey Seager, they didn't sign Trey Turner. Um, they didn't really go after Aaron Judge as hard as people thought they were. They were at $150 million payroll, so it's, it's not that big a surprise. Like they were almost planning for the last two years to make this run out at Otani. I think that everybody expected the Dodgers were going to be, you know, the prime landing spot for Otani for a few years now because they just made so much sense. You know, if he wants to win, nobody wins more than the Dodgers. He wants to stay on the West Coast. The Dodgers allow him to do that. And uh, the Dodgers have lots of money, so they were certainly going to be able to to be there with, the, you know, the right offer. So I think the Dodgers knew this too, and they were kind of planning to uh, to have their part of it ready. And then from the Angels' perspective, uh, this is, you know, certainly for an Angel fan, they're disappointed in this. <laughs> and the fact is about Mike Trout. And they've been, uh, Trout and Otani were together for six years. They didn't make the playoffs any of those years. What do you think in terms of their next move? Do they build around Trout, or, or is maybe Trout on, on, on the move in a, in a year or two? Uh, well, Trout's not going anywhere. Um, even if he wanted to be traded right now, he's really hard to trade because he's 32 years old, has been hurt for the last three years. and He's going to make another $250 million over the next seven years. So that's not really somebody that you can trade that easily. Um, so the Angels are just going to try to, to make the best team they can around him. Uh, you know, they have a few good players as part of a young core. They need some more. They probably need some more veterans, uh, you know, established like top of the rotation starter, maybe some more depth for the bullpen, maybe another piece for the middle of the lineup. Uh, but they do have, you know, some money freed up now because they had about seventy million dollars left to get onto the uh, luxury uh, tax threshold, and uh, you know they were probably thinking we got to save a lot of that for Otani. But now that they don't have to worry about that, they could they could spread it to a few other players. Wow, Jeff. Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this. I know you're the expert. Your book is called Showtime: The Inside Story of Shohei Otani, the greatest baseball season ever played. And, and let my listeners know how they can follow you on uh, Instagram or Twitter. Uh, Twitter, it's just Jeff Fletcher OCR, and uh, there's information there if you go there about buying the book. And uh, it's a great book for uh, 
anybody who just wants to learn more about Otani now, any Dodger fans out there. So great gift, gift idea. Yeah, now Dodger fans can can buy your book. They, they were nervous to buy it before. Now they can. Now they're totally invested. I have my friends who have season tickets, and they they can't. I think they're the happy. They're, besides Otani, I think season ticket holders of Dodgers are extremely happy also. Yeah, they should be pretty excited. He's a pretty uh, spectacular player. Thank you so much for coming on uh, Iron Sports. I appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thanks so much to Jeff there. Well, Ira, here we are. NBA in-season tournament. I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. It's getting, it, people are talking about it. I'll give it that. I don't know if people respect it, but they're talking about it. What was your takeaway from, from, from this in-season tournament? I don't know. You know, it was it was okay. I, I think the, the games on Monday, the problem was that the Lakers played the Pacers. I think the Pacers, if this was LeBron versus Giannis or LeBron versus another superstar, Halliburton's fantastic. And the Pacers had a big win over the Bucks to get in, so they deserve it. And I like the one-and-done format, which LeBron embraced with it. And LeBron played great. So the fact that that was great and the fact it was a standalone game on Saturday, standalone games on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Now, the problem with the league is that they, the players weren't the other teams like the Heat haven't been playing, but now they're going to be bunched up their schedule trying to make up for this almost lost week of games, almost like an all-star break, a second all-star break, and that's going to be a problem in terms of going forward. I do like the fact that how they built the games up, I mean, it was funny. There was a, a meme about or, uh, something on Instagram where it says LeBron was celebrating, and they were spraying champagne, and they said, and they showed Matt, uh, Michael Jordan like looking at this like you're celebrating an in-season <laughs> tournament win like this isn't but I think that look it was I'm not going to say it's it, I'm not going to criticize it I'm not going to say it's the greatest thing that ever happened I do think it's funny that the commentators kept saying it's like this is the greatest thing this greatest thing it's like okay just watch the game enjoy the game and I think it was hurt though that the Pacers were playing the Lakers and the fact that these games weren't that as close in, in terms of the Lakers destroyed the Pelicans like you'd hope that Zion and that in the semifinals would have played a better game but you just got to give credit to LeBron he's playing fantastic I honestly believe, I know this is crazy, I think he and Jokic and Embiid are for the MVP. Like, I think, and not only just first-team MVP, I think he's he is playing at such a high level. I don't care how old he is, he's amazing to watch, so that's exciting. Ira, what's, what are you up to this week? I know there's some tough decision-making going on, right? Uh, there is decision-making. I'm either definitely going to see Tiger on Friday. So Tiger plays at the PNC Championships on Saturday with the father-son, so it's Tiger and Charlie. And, and, and it's going to be the pro-am before on Friday. Saturday, I'm either going to go to the Steeler game or on Sunday I'll go to the Jets. Dolphins game. So that would be the question whether I do. I might actually see Miami Hurricane basketball. LaSalle plays Miami Hurricanes in basketball, and my friend Coach Dumphy coaches LaSalle. So I see that on Saturday. Got a little bit of a busy week uh, coming up for you. We are out of time, though. Thanks so much to Tom D'Angelo and Jeff Fletcher. He's Ira on Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on Sports.